0: you. Cobram Estate is the most awarded Australian extra virgin olive oil. Let it be the hero when entertaining family and friends. Cobram Estate extra virgin olive oil is fresh and full of flavor. Perfect for roasting, frying, baking, dressing salads, and for dipping bread. Make your food taste even better with a little help from Cobram Estate. Premium quality, great tasting, and a versatile, healthy alternative. Buy in store at all major retailers. Welcome back to Dylan friends. This week, I've caught on one of my favorite teammates ever in Matty DeBall. There's so many things I love about Maddie. He's got a good heart. He's a competitor. He's got an unreal thirst for knowledge, and he doesn't understand the word no. This podcast was well overdue. He's such an interesting and thought-provoking person, and he's taught me a lot, and I wanted to share it all with you. We covered footy, life, hunting down real life thieves, investing and true grunt. I truly enjoyed having Matty on and I know you'd be shocked at the amount of dimensions to his personality that transcends the field. He's a premier player, he's a premier tagger, but even better, he's a premier bloke. Cannot thank Matty enough for coming on the show. I know you'll enjoy this chat. But first, before we get into it, a big, big thank you to Bloke in a Bar. Without them, none of this is possible. The more support we show them, the more support they show us. So grab a slab of Bloke in a Bar, head to the link in the show notes and check your nearest store locator. Let's go.
1: My name is Deborah,
0: Dylan's mum.
1: Welcome to the Dylan
0: Friends podcast. many ways, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears. Tears. Strength. I'm like, I run. She's like, yeah. everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to yes. the Olympics? <laughs> They're sitting there meditating going, oh my God, I think I'm meditating. How like, good this? Is, I'm meditating. It's like... I had a Wu-Tang call. So I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Just love it. It's knuckle puck time. Yeah. It's like, it's like- <laughs> <laughs> don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Matt DeBoer, welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast, my friend. It's an honor, it's a pleasure, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Finally, it's
1: good to be here, do I sort of had to wait till the audience got big enough before I uh, <laughs> agreed to come on, which I think you've done now. Well done. Um, That's true. And yeah, it's good to see your
0: face. That is so true, my friend. Because you, you know, we actually had this plan for a long time. I'd had it planned. You were always sort of pushing back on it, which I'm sure we'll get a lot more of an idea in today why you were doing that and and what what it was about you, but. In, in essence now and looking back I'm so happy that we did actually take a lot of time to, to get this done and, um, and and hear your story because I think back then if we had have done it a lot of the show would have been about your football story and who you were tagging and 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 these sort of maybe tidbit things that aren't as essential to I think the holistic view of who Matt DeBoer is and who hopefully we can uncover today
1: yeah no I'm looking forward to it obviously talking about myself isn't my favourite topic unlike y- yourself um <laughs> But yeah, no, happy to, I'd much rather be talking about, you know, growing the, the Dylan Friends media empire and, you know, what you should be doing and maybe exploring NFTs and those sort of things. But maybe we can do that down the line as well.
0: Oh, mate, we'll be getting into it all today. Um, the way you uh, go about things is second to none, but chronologically, I want to go through your story today and, and really set the set the tone per se on on, um, on your story, mate, because it is an incredible one. And, and without you knowing, I think you do know this, but I think you'll know this throughout the show a lot more today. You've had a massive impact on me and the way I've gone about my life post um, footage, Just seeing how the way you know you've done yours and, and what you've been through and how you've bounced back and and just keep keep going. So I won't spoil it now, but let's go back to the start, my friend. Drafted in two thousand and nine in the rookie draft, an absolute battler, a hustler from the start to the Fremantle Dockers. What's your what's your memories of that?
1: Yeah, I guess, um, you know, 20, uh, 2008, I was, you know, played state football and you know, had a reasonable carnival, was all, all Australian that year and went to draft camp and, um, yeah, did, did okay. was, you know, top 10 in, in a few areas, um, repeat speed, speed and, um and the 3K time trial, and you know, speaking to my manager at the time, is like, yeah, it looks good. You're going to get drafted, etc. Uh, draft day comes around. I've got my family and my friends sitting there next to me, and uh, they, they're going through the numbers and not, not being called out. I was like, okay, maybe I'll be the Tom Brady, and and then uh, sure enough, not called at all. So it was a pretty <laughs> devastating day to be honest, and it was quite embarrassing. And I just remember thinking, yeah, I can go one or two ways here. I can, um, you know, the rookie drafts next next week, and keep my head up and just prepare for that and go out for a run. And, and have a kick and, and be ready for that, or I can sort of go out with my mates and, and just decided to um, yeah strap in for the for the next week and, and was fortunate enough to to get rookie listed. Um, but I didn't didn't watch that one with my family and friends. I just said oh no we'll, we'll just let that one go and um, yeah had a phone call missed phone call on the on the day and uh, checked my voicemail and it was uh, Matthew Pavlich here uh, just welcoming you to the club and I thought oh shit better call that guy back um, and then yeah I was just very fortunate to to join the the, the, Do- the Dockers and. Um, on the rookie list as such you had to get sort of elevated before you're eligible to play so just went in and and tried to uh, I guess improve on on my areas of deficiency and and grow from there
0: it's a super story man and and one that I don't want to just breathe breathe over too lightly because it's at such a young age as well I know what it's like when you get trying to get picked up and and even to have a draft party not to harp on that but how what was a setback at that stage like that can really break you I think and, and take a massive hit of confidence there but To sort of back yourself in again and just go, you know what, no, next week, let's go again.
1: Yeah, it was one of those ones that uh, you know at the time I knew I had some deficiencies to work on and, and still do. Um, namely, for me, it was sort of working on my on my kicking and distribution by foot. And uh, so as soon as I got drafted, you know that was that was the priority. And good to have you know, I was lucky enough to have some good coaches and, and mentors there that, oh, how are we going to improve upon this? It wasn't just you know let's I'm going to become a great kicker. It was let's break this down. And for me, it was um, you know I used to collapse on my stance leg. Um, you know my ball drop was was too you know was horrendously high. Um, and then just decision making within that. So just identified sort of three key areas and I've I've tried to use that in other models going forward. But Identify three key areas and then um, have some some tangible things associated with that to really improve upon. So for me, it was getting with the biomechanic, um, you know, weekly and just really analyzing my technique with him, Damien Shannon. Shout out to him. The great man's probably a a fan, no doubt. Um, And then doing extras after training, always making sure I was doing that and then reviewing the footage as well for decision making. So yeah, identifying those sort of three key areas and, and systematically trying to go about improving upon them. I'm not perfect. <laughs> Still, uh, you know, just try and play within my limits. But just as an area of, of you know, that I need to work on, and, and just try to go about doing so.
0: This this level of like self awareness that you've you've had it at, at such a young age, and it's going to be prevalent throughout the whole show because it's it's about who you are and it's how you do your thing. But was it was it something that you've always found that's been a part of you? Because I look back to when I first got drafted, and I was. You know, a father, son, um, you know, I've told this story a million times, but just rocked up to the club, thought that I, you know, deserved to play 300 games, thought it was all going to happen. Didn't realize I actually had to put into hard work. But I suppose you, on the other hand, you've rocked up, you're a rookie, you know the things you're already deficient in, you're already proactive in trying to fix them. Is it something that's been prevalent throughout your whole life or was was it a time where, like how did you learn these things is probably where I'm trying to get to.
1: Yeah, it's a good question and and probably not something I've sort of reflected on where it sort of came from. I guess, you know, growing up I had three brothers, uh, no sisters, so mum but yeah just like su- super competitive environment uh, and my dad was you know didn't, didn't essentially push me in sport but just helped facilitate everything and um, he always said you know look look, make sure you look at someone in, in the eyes when they're talking to you and you never know what you might get from them so I was sort of always just trying to take in information from wherever I could and you know, he was always giving me feedback on things that I needed to work on and um, so it just became a part of I guess my DNA in, in, in being hard working but getting that feedback and sort of just going to work there uh, and then I guess you know in playing state footy, you know, I was playing alongside, you know, the Dan Richards, Nick Nadanui's of the world, super players who, who were touted and are going to be drafted um, as soon as they were eligible. You know, I was sort of always just try, trying to make sure I worked hard and, and try, trying to keep up with these guys. So, yeah, I think it was just in my
0: DNA and um, forms a bit of your identity as well. So you get there in 2009, you're on the rookie list, you're obviously hustling around trying to get a game, um, you sort of cement yourself into the team around that time, you're playing the 2013 Grand Final... Um, playing some really good, consistent footy. What was that like, I suppose, in that time with Fremantle? You're absolutely humming there. You've got Ross Lyon as your coach, who's this you know, unforeseen force that everyone's so scared of. What was it like playing for Fremantle at that stage?
1: Yeah, it was a super experience. Um, Debut under Mark Harvey, and you know, always grateful for the opportunity that he gave me. And then he yeah, had Ross Lyon, you know, a few years later. And um, I think it's interesting, like people often bring it up, how I was, you know, delisted essentially, you know, by Fremantle ultimately you know, at the end of 2016. And am I bitter about that? And it couldn't be further from the from the truth. Like I, I'm, you know, I'd put Ross Lyon in my sort of top five most influential people on my, in my career, um, you know, on and off field. Just the, everything that he would impart upon myself and, and the playing. group group around uh, you can't quarantine excellence and um, football IQ and, and how to set standards, you know, is really something that has formed, I guess, who I am um, and, and what I still continue to do today. And, you know, Fremantle's DNA at the time was like we were this defensive sort of juggernaut. Um, so I picked up a lot of my key, I guess, football IQ um from around that and, and, and the game plan there, and I could still you know quote the the Fremantle game plan from from back in the day, um, but yeah, we just knew going into the games that that was our our identity, and you know we'd be able to crush teams. You know we we're not, might not be kicking the biggest score, but we knew if everyone played their role within that, that we'd be able to um, yeah be competitive, and, and more often than not, we win winning games.
0: Hey, I really like what you said there about Ross and and your experience with Fremantle and leaving there and being bitter, and and that's what people assume. Like, I find it's it's quite similar. For myself, I well. like when I left Carlton, um, Brennan Bolton. Like he, he was a guy that you know, obviously ended up delisting me and 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 taking my career away from me. But I actually look back at him now, being like, "Fuck, this bloke taught me like so much shit." Not not, not so much football sort of things that correlated, but it was more the off-field things that I really took away from it. Um, what are, what's Ross Lyon like, man? Like we've heard a lot of the sprays, and sometimes we have a bit of a laugh about him. But what were some of those things that? you've taken back since then. Is it like the excellence? You know, I've heard stories from, from yourself and um, Alex Silvani Tommy Sheridan, Mick Barlow about how how like high performance his programs, you know, actually were. It's like no books in meetings, you know, like punctuality, all these things. Like w- what was it like playing under him?
1: Yeah, yeah it, was, it, was, it was genuinely an experience. Um, you know, he sort of come in and uh, laid the law down, I guess, and what his expectations were. And then um, just like we would show you know, footage of, of the game plan and things that we want to do, and then he'd be like, righto someone, you know, repeat that back to me. Um, you know, what what are our key focuses? And to begin with, all the boys were a bit, oh, you know, it stutter or that wouldn't quite get it right. Sure enough, day two, everyone's got notebooks. You know, everyone's writing down, you know, the key points from the meeting, testing its, each other, heading into meetings, knowing that we'd inevitably get asked, and just making sure that we're all on the same page there. But then he was really big on the players, you know, succeeding off field as well, and he made it mandatory at um, at, at a time to. That the, you weren't eligible for selection unless you were engaged in something meaningful off-field. So that sharpened a few of the boys up, and you know, had to be doing a trade or you know uni degree or short course in, in something. So he really said, you know, I want my players to be successful on and off-field, and there's the the balance there um, that you know well you know you can't quarantine excellence was, was his mantra, knowing that if you're going to be good in one area, you're going to be good in the other. So he th- thought that that would definitely correlate across and he goes, I want to be able to pick up the newspaper and, and read about my players being great off field down the line. So that was quite profound for as competitive as he is game day. And, you know, those are the, the some of the funnier moments as well, the sprays and those sort of things, but just how well-rounded he was and, and what of the best for his for his
0: players. Well, you look at it now and, and I think even just thinking about everything you're saying, like yourself, Zach Dawson, uh, Alex Silvani, Mick Barlow, um, you might be able to throw Tommy Sheridan in there somewhat, but all have left footy or still in footy with really stringent and like plans outside of life now, like it, it it does seem to have an effect on players that have left the game. Obviously, that can be the messaging from, from the footy club but it, all, it also has to be well driven, you know, during the players themselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and it got to that point but yeah, he'd always you know obviously we, were, we, we review fo- football you know uh, majority of the time but then he'd come in with just some some you know psychological principles as well around you know effort and, and energy and you know he'd talk us through you know back in the paleolithic times um, you know you, you have to conserve your energy you never knew when you know you, you were going to get your next meal or you never knew, knew if you had to run away from a predator I'm like where's Ross going with this and um, you know obviously nowadays you know you've got Uber Eats around the corner and there's no predators as such but people are still inherently lazy because of that time so he'd always be trying to push you and, and challenge you on on this and knowing that you've got more to give than you think and you know tap into that and just continually pushing boys. So he was sort of you know well read, um, had his own mentors as well and, and would bring in those types of learnings for for everyone.
0: What are some of the, the, the other ones? Because I know that there's a big one. I can't fully remember the story, but it was like a really big build up against um, the cats down at Skilled Stadium and there was some way that he really swung that in the percentage of, of Fremantle to to have the, the motivation and the belief that they could win that. So setting the, the, the precedence for that, what was it? it was, is that in 2013 when you were traveling across from WA all the way over to Geelong, obviously going to have not many fans in the stand, but somehow you got up and won this game?
1: Yeah, so originally the game was scheduled to be the MCG, and then um, for whatever reason, for politics, etc., cetera, got moved to you know Geelong Stadium. So automatically there was a okay, you know us versus them type mentality on, on steroids as well. You know that the AFL was trying to sort of give them every advantage they could down there. So there was that, but then also we knew that the, the crowd would be heavily Geelong focused. So his um, one of his key key learnings throughout. Uh, my time there was was reframing and how to reframe um, experiences that you had. So w- in the specific example of Geelong game, it was the crowd's going to be noisy. You know, like they're going to they're going to be cheering at absolutely everything. So he, all week it was talking about what do we do when they cheer, and it, it became uh, you focus on your role and you focus on the next moment. So rather than hearing this intimidating cheer, it was like a trigger for the whole playing group to focus on the next moment, focus on our role, and ultimately um, we came away w-
0: away with the win. It's huge, man. Absolutely huge. It's it's something that I think you probably don't understand the power of that until you play for a club that doesn't have as many supporters, you know, like when we're at the Giants, and obviously you're still there doing incredible things, but you do really realise how much a crowd does come into the factor. So to to bring that awareness and to have that and be able to flip the script almost is is pretty brilliant. Mate, 2016, uh, as I would know how this happens, but you sort of fall out of favour here in the Fremantle lineup. What What happens there? Is it, is it just a change of guard? Is it sort of blooding some youth?
1: Yeah, that's how it sort of happened, I guess, end of 2015. You know, Freeman, I finished top of the ladder. We were quite dominant. You know, I played pretty much every game that year. Uh, 2016 comes around, you know, we started losing a couple of games. And, uh, you know, I was 26 at the time. Didn't feel that old, but it felt like we made a quick shift to, to playing the youth. And, you know, so I was like, all right. Down to state league we go, and uh, and was you know playing midfield there, and, and was having a pr- reasonable year there, uh, and just couldn't get back into the ones. And we'd talk to Ross, would try and get feedback, would see where I'm at, and ultimately that was that was the direction that they were going, and they were pretty unashamed about it. So the the writing on the wall for there was there for me, knowing that at the end of the year I'd, I'd likely be delisted, um, and you know that was a source of I guess frustration throughout the year. And I'm not going to lie, you know I had my had my down moments, but um, what was a key takeaway was you know I was able to play state league football, you know coming back. To your gratitude, piece but ultimately with some of my better friends and, and teammates, you know Tendai Mzungu, Alex Silvani, Zach Clark, um, just to name a few, and we had a really dominant side that qualified for, uh, for for state league because of you know Ross dropping you know some of those players throughout the year, and, uh, and sure enough, come. Come Waffle Finals, we've, we finished fifth at uh, the Mighty Peel Thunder, and then we won every game right through to the Grand Finals as one of my sort of key takeaways. And you know during the year, I felt like I could have dropped my bundle along with some of the other players, but it was like, no, let's, let's absolutely dominate this. And now it's one of my greatest memories is the 2016 Waffle Grand Final.
0: I break that down for me, though, because I think in, in experience, like I've been there, I've been out of favour in a team. So many people have been like this, not even in football, in, in the workplace, in in life and and it's so easy to just like go fuck this this is not going my way like i'm just going to go down here you know why me poor me well it's a it's a trap that i've fallen in anyway many a times what what did you come back to in those times i know you said like about the enjoyment but it's i don't believe it's as easy as that there's got to be something else like intrinsically motivating you to to get through that period because i know from my point of view when i was there man it was it was honestly it was all about me. I, I somehow just couldn't break out of the trap of of not, you know, thinking it was it was something personal towards myself.
1: Yeah, I mean, reflecting on it now, it's easy to sort of, you know, think about it and control the narrative as such, but I guess coming back to it for me, it was just around like identity and who do you want to be known as and what do you want people to say about you? Um, you know, I've sort of been motivated throughout my whole career of one, fear of failure, but two, aspirational thinking as well. And um, at the time I was like, well, I don't want to be known as the guy that, you know, spat the dummy and uh, and, and didn't give effort. Like I've, I've built my brand and my identity around that guy that gives maximum effort. So let's let's keep being that guy. And I saw a real opportunity to, to lead and and, these younger guys and really got you know enjoyment out of that you know definitely have my moments of frustration don't get me wrong we talk to Alex Silvani, Tendai Mzungu about it you have these confidants and these close mates that you can always do and, and my mates outside of football as well but ultimately came back to you know my purpose you know which is all around you know trying to make my family proud really you know defining that you know what would they want me to do there I, it's a bit inconsistent with my brand and my purpose to, to not give maximum effort therefore I do um, you know also around you know elements of mastery just trying to be the best I can for as long as I can um and then yeah providing for my family as well so just trying to you know ultimately give the put my best foot forward at all, at all occasions to be consistent with my with my purpose
0: incredible answer you nailed that I love that that's true <laughs> Matty divorce style the one thing that really stuck out there that that is like I've I think learned a lot about the way that you go about things and I'll probably say that 15 times today is when you said It's how other people view you and, you know, what what would someone say about you? Like, what would you want someone to say about you if they met you the first time? And I think that was something that when I asked my question to that of myself at some stages, I was like, fuck, you know, I probably wouldn't like the answer of what someone would say about me. And I think that's something in in sport and in work where you can really answer the question yourself. It's like, what would a colleague say about me? What would my teammate say about me? you know, if they were picking a team, where would they be picking me? And if you can like really answer that, um, like you have in that scenario, that's when it's a real credit to yourself. But I think even more powerful is if you do answer that question, and it's not the answer you want, like, can you act on it?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, in football, we call it the football tombstone at times. What would you want to be written on there? And, you know, once again, it comes back to your, your effort and your, and your actions from there. But yeah, it is, you know, it's not all smooth sailing through that. Through that journey, but yeah, coming coming back to that, you know, that purpose, I think for everyone's key, and I'm you know would love to make this somewhat educational as well. How many of your listeners have actually sat down and really tried to define that as well? And I challenge you to do that. You know, it might take five, ten minutes, and something you can iterate over time. But uh, yeah, even to the point where, as a kid, you know my, my dad's friends would always tell me, "Gee, your dad was a tough tough player," and you know football and in baseball, I think he got rubbed out for ten weeks for knocking a few people out, which you know he's not <laughs> super proud of, but it, but it happened. Um, it's where my white line fever comes from but you know and thinking that, oh, gee, I want to be I want to make my dad proud And if he's a tough player I want to be a tough player and I want my friends to tell my kids that so once you sit down and actually think about it and define it it really helps you propel your, your next action
0: hey on that as well because I've I have done something similar to that it's still something that I'm trying to work out for for me but is it as simple as like you can actually do those tests say hey? like you can do the purpose quiz where you, like, you can basically pick 10 words that define you and then you go okay now pick seven of those 10 now pick five of those 10. Now pick three of those 10. And then you'll, you'll sort of find a niche of what those words might be.
1: Yeah, I'm sure there is. That's not how I sort of did it, but definitely look. I'm sure there's tools and things online these days for that. So definitely look into it. I guess just always challenge those extrinsic motivators and and intrinsic motivators. So the extrinsic ones around, you know, money and and fame and these things can get you jumping out of bed in the mornings for sure. But the ones that are, you know, more, I guess, purposeful and and can, um, you know, propel you, you know, when you might be at your lowest point around those intrinsic motivators. So elements of of mastery, um, you know, purpose and, and autonomy and family and, these ones that are more intrinsically you know motivating they're the ones that can really take you to heights that uh you, you probably didn't think you know to begin with that would, would
0: be possible it's a very good point it's a very good point Matthew because I think for me if I just thinking about this personally and we're just having a conversation now I'm learning a lot today but intrinsically I think you were saying about how you can be motivated by external factors so you know like whether that be people listening to the podcast or enjoying it um, you know, how many people listen to it, how much sponsorships can I get all these sort of things, which is definitely a trap that I didn't want to get stuck into because I was something that happens when you play football. But now that I've noticed that again, it comes back to the exact thing. It's like, fuck, I don't want to do that show. I want to do one that I'm actually passionate about. I want to do episodes of people who are actually going to enjoy because yeah, it's just a, I think it's something that you can never fully master all the time. It's like something you just have to keep checking back in with yourself. And I've found that anyway for me. It's something that I literally will be doing for like six months, totally forget about it for another six and then go, fuck, I've got to come back to that and, and realise what I'm actually doing.
1: Yeah, I think it comes back to you know your locus of control, and people talk about it. You know, trust the process, control the controllables, and and that's um, that's really key. So like some of those results we were talking about, like fame and money and sponsorships, like that's going to be the outcome of you really nailing a great product. And for you, that's um, it's just been evident. You know, you're like you've you've defined uh, what's what's key to you. You found your product market fit, and you're really doubling down on that and, and creating really key audience from that so within that is like you know purpose you know you and your mantra around you know be yourself everyone else is taken you know you're really building that community Um, you know autonomy you can do this whenever you want it's great from um, anywhere in the anywhere in the world um, you know touched on purpose and mastery your chance to be great at something like you could be one of the great, greatest podcasters ever that's a genuine you know, possibility for that so that's that's your intrinsic motivators there and then the extrinsic ones would be you know all the fame and um, bar cards you'll
0: get as a result mate <laughs> I'm pretty motivated I want to run through a brick wall mate where's the head at, in, at the end of 2016 you've just won the flag um, with Peel Thunder you're getting delisted from Fremantle sorry to tell you this but you, you did um, where's a head at? What was the next movements? Was there ever a lifeline available? How did it all sort of play out from there?
1: Yeah, so heading into the the meeting with with Ross and, and the GM at the time, you know, like as I said, the writing was on the wall. But um, I actually recorded the content on my phone. I thought like, this could be interesting at some point down the line. Um, stuck in my pocket. No one knows that. But um, <laughs> and I had to. Oh, it was a weird sort of meeting for memory. And I don't know if I was a little bit rattled or not. But I sort of had to clarify. Like, so just to be clear, am I deal-listed or not? oh yeah you're definitely done I was like oh, okay Sweet. oh my
0: god you've got to show us this content we've got to I'll, play this in the show I'll,
1: I'll have to find it I'll have to try and find <laughs> it um, uh, so that, that, was, that was good shook the hands like you know I was actually very proud of my time there still am and really proud of the you know the relationships and, and everything I've got there so left on left on really good terms um, and then I had a had a trip to Japan planned mate with, the, with a few of the boys so that was definitely still on the on the radar one of the better things about being an AFL player at times is you know the defined leave that you have so um had that locked in you know and i I still thought i had plenty of footy left in me you know i I performed strongly in the state league competition sort of said the manager you know get to work and and see what's out there for me um but i was putting my resume together like you know i'd I'd graduated that that year at University of Western Australia. So had my uni degree done at least and was, was sort of moving forward there. And then I went to uh, Vietnam with, with my partner as well. And, um, that you know, the anxiety was rising a little bit, still had no sort of offers or, or interest. And then um, sure enough, a little bit later, that, you know, halfway through my trip in, in Vietnam, I believe there was two offers and, and one of them was the was the Giants. And um, the message was, you know, fly back straight away, you know, Leon wants to meet you. And I just remember looking at my, my partner, now fiance, I was like, you know, this has been her holiday all year. So we'll just stick it out. And if they're interested, they'll be interested when we get back. So he got back uh, and then I flew over. You know, met, met Leon and, and had a really good chat uh, and did the the medical and, and passed that just. Um, and then in chatting to Leon, you know, he was, you know, asking all these questions and said, you know, if you did come in, you'd be the, you know, 27th, 28th player on the list. How does that sit? And I just said, you know, give me the opportunity and, and watch me crack into the 22 from there. So, um, you know, he and, and Leon, you know, just to touch on him, has just been absolutely profound, you know, for me personally uh, and obviously for my footy career, just the just the empowerment. And the and the work rate and, and everything he puts into the players, but also the Giants organisation as a whole is is really profound and has been really inspiring for me. And I've learnt so much from him on, on how he goes about that. And we'll be yeah, forever grateful for the for the second opportunity
0: because not everyone gets them. Um, but as you as you know, mate, no one works harder than than Leon. No, I I couldn't agree more, mate. And I literally had a very similar chat to Leon and I. I actually said the same thing, uh, <laughs> but it just didn't plan out that way, unfortunately. But um, no, mate, it's a credit to yourself because as I said. I, I don't doubt that for a second. When you say that, and I think even he would know that, like you're always gonna you're always gonna end up in the team. You go from a delisted free agent picked up and a year later in the leadership group of of the Giants
1: yeah yeah it was a it was an interesting year i've have got there um trying to settle in and you know the, the Giants Giants is great you know, I'm sure you've touched on it over your time but you know in day two you know phil davis is i'm um, I'm staying at his house meeting all the boys you know he's helped me move my fridge into my house a bit later on and um you know just everyone's gone there to play football essentially there's only a, you know a small few that are actually from Sydney. so everyone becomes each other's sort of friends and family and um you know from from social functions to club functions you know you become really tight knit with everyone and just that genuine care and and loves there and and like we've become a real family club as a result and and i think that will um will propel the giants for a long time to come
0: Mate, what did you think of that just back on that by the way with with leon and the giants because it is it is a special place and i sort of have to be careful of what i say now because i get called a giant lover and um you know not denying the fact that i am but it it is a really special culture and, and place up there What did you think of how that was sort of depicted in in the Amazon series? Because I had so many people coming up to me just saying, gee whiz, Leon looks like an absolute flog. You know, what's happened here? And I was like, mate, it couldn't be further from the truth. Like they're actually the most switched on units ever, but it, it, you know, obviously the cameras are there. Who knows what can get, you know, sort of shown throughout it. Um, We obviously, we, we all watch maths and we see they say the same thing.
1: Yeah, no, I've got to say I was disappointed with the with the edit, and I got to be careful. Obviously, um, I thought as a whole the the doc that the documentary and the process was fantastic, great insight for everyone involved. But I guess it is a it is an edit, and it is a narrative, and it is a story, and they're trying to build it up in in certain ways. So um, you know, there was there was great moments of of Cogs and Leon and, and everyone saw those ones as well. I just feel like there were some epic moments that that, have, that were missed out. Yeah, uh, you know, they, they were there essentially 24-7 for the, for the whole year um, and you know Cogs for example like what I remember one uh, Captain's Run meeting he's gone around he stood up in front of everyone and he's gone through every single individual player and told him what he loves about him and what, how great they are and I just remember seeing the rise in everyone and I was like oh that will definitely be in the docker this would be sick and it, and it wasn't shown. Um, and I feel like obviously they've only got so many minutes and so long that they can show but yeah once again like Leon one of the hardest working guys meets with every single player every week and touches base on footy and gives them some feedback but and then also says you know how's rage going how's the parents going you know when's the last thing you bought Rach flowers and uh and these sort of things as well so just that holistic care I just feel like it wasn't depicted and once again it's tough to to fit a whole narrative in but yeah it just felt like it could have been a bit more well well-rounded or balanced how's yeah it offense? is hard
0: no it's that's that's a great comment very uh very stoic of you I think um if that even fits in there but uh, I couldn't agree more I think that the Giants are a fantastic club but there's always going to be bits that they see and, and don't see. As I said, I actually really enjoyed the doco as well. I thought it was unbelievable, but it's just unfortunate um, the year panned out how it did. Hey, the, the role you ended up sort of playing at the Giants um, on and off, I suppose, is in the midfield and, and looking after some players um, being you know, taking on the game's best, really going head-to-head with some of the best players in the game. Was that something that was always foreign to you? I know you did a little bit about this at at Frio as well. How did you find this when you you were sort of picked upon um, to do it at the Giants too?
1: Yeah, done a little bit here and there at um, at Fremantle and then it, when I was playing State League I, I got tagged a little bit as well and bloody annoying those blokes, mate. Um and then yeah, twenty sort of seventeen, eighteen, um, you know, I was playing higher high forward roles, sort of up and go, you know, on the wing, pinch hitting and these sort of things and Giants midfields elite. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, how am I gonna crack into that despite you know growing up as a, as a midfielder? And um, I remember watching Hutchings tag side so bottom in the grand final and did a great job. And I remember telling Lenny Hayes, the midfield coach. You know, if you ever want someone to be, you know, a tagger, I'm happy to, you know, put my hand up and, and give it a go. And then, you know, unfortunately, Callum Ward hurt his knee. Um, so, start of 2019, I was given the job in the in a practice game. I was like, go tag Steve Canileo, Cogs, and, and see how you go. Uh, I like to think we, we broke even. And um, <laughs> and then later late, uh, next week, we are playing Essendon, and we we're like, oh well, let's go give this tagging thing a go. And yeah, did a reasonable job, and it just sort of just stuck throughout the throughout the whole year, and uh, quickly became the villain and and uh plenty of social media hate ensued but it was uh it was all part of it and if it allowed my teammates to get off the off the chain which inevitably they did because they're they're all weapons then uh i was happy to fulfill that role
0: oh mate i think that sums you up um completely like every single player that i've spoken to you know without a doubt every single player said he's one of my favorite players that i've ever played with the best teammate that you can go for and for you to sort of put your hand up and just take that selfless role um, I know it, it's depicted a lot in the media as a bad thing, but internally you can't underrate that and how much your, your teammates love it. And as we said earlier, it's like, what would someone say about you? Um, and the people that are closest to you only have the best things to say. So you, you've, you've done it um, well there, mate, and won the respect of, of everyone more than I can, or you know, more than anyone could ever really wish, to be honest. What no, kind you. of yeah. mentality in that though, Dutch, do you actually have to have to become an elite tagger? Like What what goes into that Every day. Like, I can imagine there's an enormous amount of work um, learning players' games, and even like the anxiety that would give me of just knowing that I've got to tag someone a whole game. I, I don't know how you do it. Yeah, so there's, I mean, if you break it down,
1: it's just sort of attention to detail and, and relentless to task. Um, so yeah, for me, it was, you know, I'd get with Lenny Hayes and 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 uh, would like analyze at least sort of two games uh, of the most recent games of, of the player and sort of break down what what their modus operandi is and what they tend to do at stoppages at you know at kick-ins, ball-ups, etc., and just see if there's any sort of patterns there that we can potentially break down. Um, so analyzing that, if they've been tagged before, we'll sort of we'll review that game as well, and then come back to my and game and Review um, my most recent game, how I could have improved there, both defensively and offensively. The, the right time, you know, trying to you know join in and and play that role as well. Um, and then yeah, I guess just going into games, sort of backing yourself. It's easy to have this narrative in your head. Oh no, what happens if this happens? And it's like no. Once again, come back to what's in my control, and that can be my body work, it can be my running patterns, it can be you know bookending with my teammates. It can be all these sort of things um, that give me my best chance of success. Doesn't guarantee it, but yeah, give, give me my best chance. I guess. At fulfilling the role and ultimately uh, winning the game.
0: Who are some of the, the hardest ones you've played on, mate? There's, there's been a lot, um, a lot there. Who are some of the ones that you've you know, really had to put in the work to, to get done?
1: Stephen Cornelio a Training. That, that's where the list ends. No. Um, <laughs> mate, they're all hard to, 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 to they've all either got elite speed, elite strength, elite IQ. Uh, so yeah, every game's tough. Uh lucky to have great teammates around me. But yeah, to name some names like obviously Dusty Martin, you know, Pat Dangerfield, um, Nat Fife, like these types are just yeah, they have got they've got everything and, and the teammates look after them as well. So it's always um, it's always a good good challenge and you know, I just try and just do my best, mate. <laughs>
0: Hey, are you happy? I don't want to – I don't know if you're having a book series coming out soon, but I'm sure this would be in it. Um, the 2019 granny against the Tigers that we played in obviously went down, but are you sort of happy to talk about the condition that you went into that game in? I think I've alluded to something in the podcast before. but always said it's Matt DeBoer's story to tell. Um, for me, it sort of stands out as something. I was just in, – in in that time, just had to pinch myself going, fucking hell, this bloke is off his head. <laughs> Uh,
1: yeah, let's 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 do it. I guess in in the prelim final against Collingwood uh, in the third quarter, I was on Scott Penelbury and it was obviously a tight game. Um, I've gone to make a tackle and, and landed on my, my knee awkwardly, and uh, let's just say I stretched my, my medial ligament, MCL, and um, quickly got off. Heard a pop and got off the ground as, as sort of soon as I could. Um, and then they were sort of testing it, and I said it's a bit loose, and I just told him to f and strap it up and get me back out there. <laughs> Um, pretty hated at the time so they, they did that and you know they t- strapped it as tight as they could and got out there and was able to sort of fulfil the um, the role and we got the win luckily after some, some Shane Mumford candy on the goal line um, and then yeah it was obviously like we've won the game and you know I was absolutely ecstatic and and all of a sudden, you know, it just crept in that, gee, the, the knee feels you know, a little bit loose here, so um, we'll, we'll see how we go. And then, yeah, so I obviously just, just stretched it. So all week, it was pretty, I was off legs and you know, the decision was to play or not to play. Um, obviously we know the result and and didn't didn't work out the way that we wanted um but yeah passed the sort of medical and had to do some team training all there but yeah it wasn't um yeah it was a a semi loose and then I just had to strap it up and and restrap it at half time as well uh to try and get through
0: I love it but I think that I don't know if you remember this I don't think anyone does remember this because I definitely shouldn't have been in the room at the time that these discussions are going I think I just done my 14th calf and was just chilling out maybe getting a rub, and you've. Walked in with the doctor. Um, again, this is your sort of tale, so I hope that this is okay. But I just remember just sitting there and I was like, should I leave this situation? I'm pretty sure I shouldn't be here. Didn't want to sort of move, but I just remember the doctor being like, mate, this is your knee. Like, you've probably got a 30% chance of actually doing your ACL if you play with this.
1: Yeah, he said there was an increased risk, and um, you know the chance that eternal success was sort of, um, you know, was more appealing to me at the time. But I was really transparent with the doctors, and because it can be selfish to play when you're not right, like let's be clear about that. So yeah, definitely, I did. I did chat with the coaches, did chat with the medical staff, and said, "Oh, 100% play if you're happy, you know, with with a condition that I'm going in on." And as we know, you know, the result it didn't didn't make a difference. But uh, at the time, I was willing to take that risk for that for that chance. Once again, coming back to my purpose it was. Uh, I, might have forgot to touch on it earlier is like to win a to win a grand final you know and to be part of eternal success with with my teammates who i love coming to work with each day and, th- and there's no better feeling than after a, a win you know sitting there with them so the, sh- the chance that um at winning that yeah ultimately outweighed any sort of risk associated with doing my acl
0: it was pretty crazy that week as well and, and again the, the the main goal is to win a premiership and not to say that richmond didn't have any players that were injured because by the time of that you know, that season ends, every single bloke has got a niggle that they're carrying. But I just remember going, fuck, like you look at blokes like Lockie Whitfield, who was one of the toughest, if not the toughest blokes I've ever seen really play the game for his size. Not even for his size, to be honest, just, just pound for pound. He is like the toughest bloke I've, I've probably seen. And to, to even sort of get up and do what he did is, is a feat in itself as well.
1: No, he's an absolute maniac. You talk about that, you know, pound for pound, he's he's just absolutely fearless as well. You know, factoring in his body and actually speaking of pound for pound, I was at the club uh, this morning (laughs) and I saw the uh, the record board. I was just having a look, and then sure enough, on the on the bench press relativity, uh, Dylan Buckley still in the in the top ten. You're actually in the top ten for that and top ten for most shit talked as well, mate. So well done, that lives on.
0: I'd I'd be in the top. I'd be in. I don't think anyone could compare to the most shit talked. Maybe only. Zach Sproul, that would be the only one. But I do remember the bench press and Alex, our, the weights coach, our weights coach, the Giants' weights coach, I just feel like he would absolutely hate seeing my name at the top there every single <laughs> time because there's nothing more he hated than me just rocking up 10 minutes late to weights yeah, most I weeks. Think we might reset it soon. I
1: think rounding at that podium on the shit talk would be Tommy Sheridan as well, mate.
0: Oh, jeez, let's, let's not go there. Hello, my beautiful friends and family. Guess what? I am back. I am back. Third time lucky. My third time drafted. In my life, I'll be making a return to footy as a part of the Carlton Draft, along with some big household names. Not as big as my name, but uh, some quite big names. Isaac Smith, Trent Cotchin, Maddie Lloyd, Lee Montagna. Some of the all-time greats of our game, as I've just mentioned. One lucky Victorian Women's Community Club will get the chance... To draft the AFLW GOAT Aaron Phillips to play as a wild card. How bloody good is that? If you're a part of women's community footy and you are keen to get Erin down, enter now at the carlondraft.com.au. That's the Caltondraft.com.au. Hey, um, Maddie, elite habits. It's something that is obviously prevalent in, in not just footy, but in your life. How important is habits to you and, and how do you stay on top of them? Because I suppose this is like an educational piece for myself and anyone else out there listening. If someone said to you sorry, how can I improve my habits? What what would you say?
1: Yeah, I guess you know some people are familiar with the term aggregate of marginal gains, which is essentially saying like let's not get 10% better, you know, at one thing because that's in, in reality really hard. Um, but let's get better, like 1% better at 100 different things, and that like the cumulative advantage together will make you a, like a better person and a better player. So, like in in sport, it's like how can you incrementally improve your diet? Um, you know, is it with your hydration? Is it by getting a mentor? Is it by reading more books? Is it listening to more podcasts? Um, you know, and then like with analyzing break everything down like ross would often talk about uh every decision you makes ever either taking you close to where you want to go or taking you further away so for me you know being an elite footballer that's that's the result what are all the, the actions in there to to form that so um you know it, it becomes quite binary quite quickly it's like yeah i enjoy watching netflix and and that's good at times you do need to chill out but if you binge watching till past midnight you're not getting your your sleep and you know refer back to your, your, your sleep um the interview you did around that and just how important that is so ice baths yes no you know obviously yes at the uh, post game and diet you know it, should i eat that piece of chocolate or whatever it's like is it taking me closer or taking me further away to where i want to go so i guess you know, to answer your question it's like really defining where you want to go and all the actions in between that will take you there so for sport it's obviously diet Preparation, skills, um, mental aptitude, and then breaking those down further. How can I improve upon them? You know, and I've touched on getting resources is key. Like we're so fortunate these days in the information age that you know you can listen to podcasts, books, you can LinkedIn, you can get a mentor really quickly, um, and, and just getting feedback from people that have been there, done that, and try and improve your your processes on the way to um, yeah, hopefully fulfilling your your goals.
0: Yeah, mate, I, I couldn't agree more. It's something that, again, it sounds easy in theory, but I suppose it's all about that repetition and just being consistent with it. Like, I, I think the best thing that I've probably learned with, with this sort of stuff is you're not going to get it straight away. And you might not even really get it consistent all the time, but the more you can keep thinking about it, the better you'll be. So if you might do it one, one like, for example, you know, uh, whatever your skill that you're trying to be, it might be an ice bath. Remembering to do it once... The more you start remembering it, the more you'll keep doing it. The more you keep doing it, the more it become a habit. Um, So I think even just like to start, it's just like identifying what it is that you need to do. The more that it's in your front of your mind, then the more you're going to keep doing it.
1: I'm really fortunate to have you know mentors you know across my journey, and you know I'll touch on a couple of them and see if you can guess who they are. So you know player A, you know fought his way onto a list is you know regarded as one of the hardest working players that there is. You know worked on all these areas of you know deficiency, was in leadership group, you know in his third year, you know continued to work on on everything. You know played finals seventy five percent of the time. It was the best clubman award winner. You know joined a new club on the rise you know was in the leadership group there in his second year Um, and then yeah ultimately became one of the sort of most consistent performers and and a loved teammate so there's that guy another one of my mentors is is Player B and um, you know Player B was you know rookie listed undrafted bit of a bit of a scrapper really fortunate to Get a game at all through someone else's injury. Sort of hung around. Ultimately got delisted by a club. Um, you know, joined another club. You know, as a depth player. Hung around for a bit longer, and you know, never really achieved a hell of a lot. You know, so there's two mentors there. Do you know who they are? Well, I was gonna say
0: Alex Silvani sounds like the first one.
1: No, nah, so they're actually both me. And I, guess- I was gonna
0: say the second ones. I was gonna say the <laughs> second one sounds like you, but I was like, I okay, that's very good. I really like that. Yeah, so like they're both me. And I guess the lesson there is
1: it's all about who you choose to be. And I choose to be player A. And then that really helps (sighs) serve me and fulfills my, you know, propels my next steps there. So in elite habits, when you're forming it, you know, how do you see yourself? And I don't say that to be arrogant at all. Like, hope your listeners don't interpret it that way. I really just challenge them to think about what's your internal narrative and is that propelling you towards where you want to go? Because elite habits, like I touched on before, like we're inherently lazy. You need to have, um, the, the purpose and the, and the motivation to do so, but it becomes down to what's your identity like I've touched on and and what's your self-narrative so that, you know, it serves you to fulfill your next step because that'll take you ultimately to where you want to go.
0: Man, I've just had a, just a mind-blowing moment there. You've really just really opened something up for me. That was unbelievable the way you did that. That's so good. i will be happy. Yeah, I'm going to definitely be using that. No, well, I was thinking straight. I was like, this sounds like it's you, but I was like, well, it's not going to be you, so it might be Alex Alex Silvani. And then the second one, I was like, fuck, is that like me? Maybe that's just, no, I don't think that's a good thing. Um, no, that's incredible, mate. So it's sort of like you're giving yourself just through that because I want to do it for myself. You're like sort of saying that this is the best case for myself if I take all the opportunities and have elite habits and, and make the most of my time versus what I'll achieve if I don't act on what I could possibly achieve.
1: Yeah, I mean, we touched on it before. Like, what do you want people to say about you? And that's like important. and can be, you know, a good reflection piece. But ultimately, you, you need to choose who you want to be and, and what your narrative is of yourself. Because what's going to serve you is it better to, for me to think that I'm am a scrapper and that's going to motivate me to get better, or is it better to define myself as one of the hardest working players who you know is a consistent performer? And you know, if I choose that I'm player A consistently, and I say, tell myself over and over again. Actually, it reminds me of, and you might not remember this, but uh, we were doing a running session in the off season, I think. And you mentioned how you'd been reading a great book recently, and, and you'll have to fill us in what book it was. But uh, it was, the one of the key lessons was you have to be your own best friend. I was like, okay, explain that to me. And it was saying, well, you know, how do you Treat your best friend when when they're down or or when they're going well, and it's like you know you're, you're fully supportive. You get around them, you help them, you know, um, you know, understand the next moments. And I was like, that's a great point, you know. And it just feeds into this internal narrative that people have, and um, just make sure that you know you're, you're always choosing player A because you know that's going to help. You know, everyone's got their own player A, so yeah, everyone needs to choose that because it'll help them take them to where they want to go.
0: Love it, mate. Absolutely love it. That internal narrative. It's something that I'm so passionate about, and I do really think that. It, it even if it doesn't change the external things of your life just like mentally you feel so much better about yourself um especially of where you are because you're just like fuck i'm actually killing it how good is this <laughs> um talking of ideologies i know it's something that we could probably harp on about all day there's a really cool one that that you actually told me about being the flea analogy um are you happy to sort of open up on that one because i feel like that had a massive sort of impact on me too
1: yeah, I think it's uh, it's well documented. But yeah, for everyone um, listening, the, there's an experiment done with, with fleas, and you know, I'll get it wrong slightly, but you know, they can jump extremely high. Like, you know, the, you know, maybe not quite your vertical leap, deal, um, but. <laughs> Quite high, um, more so than mine. So call it a meter and they can jump that high. And then the experiment was they put him inside this box, you know, call it 30 centimeters and, and the flea jumps up, hits its head, jumps up, hits its head uh, and says, well, oh, gee, I'm not going to do, do that anymore. Um, and then what's interesting is when you take the the lid off and, you know, knowing that they can jump a meter in the, in the air, they, they can't. Get to that height anymore? They've conditioned themselves through pain, through fear, to not jump that high. Um, so it's a really good reminder that we, as people, put these limits on ourselves all the time. Be it energy, be it fear of failure, be it you know any sort of external circumstances within our lives that we put these you know these lids on ourselves. So you know, I always talk about you know really defining what's possible in, in your in your life, both professionally, on field, off field, relationships, etc. Setting no limits um, and just continually you know knowing that you can jump as high as you want to jump, essentially.
0: I love that, Matty. It's such a good one. Um, I, I actually did think I heard that a long time ago, like when I was at school and had no idea what it meant, but it's funny how things like become relevant again when you're in the situation of like needing to hear it. You can only, you know, you can be told things a million times, but until it clicks with you and and you're ready to take it on board, um, that's definitely something that I remember you you sort of telling me at that stage. Hey, on this as well, what, what do you think personally for yourself um, you need to do to be at your best um in not just sport because i know that's only one facet of your life and we'll get into the next facet later but in business and in life when are you at your best like are you just consistent in your recovery your what you put in your body your mindfulness what what is it
1: yeah, I think, you know, coming back to what you can control again, like yeah, for me, it's like, well, what can I be the best at? You know, so I always try and be the best at recovery. You know, I try and be the best in the, in the team meeting, in the meeting room. You know, I like, make sure I know know the game plan inside out and I can be essentially a coach out there and, yeah, recovery. So I'm always trying to, you know, experiment with ways how can I improve, you know, be it meditation, you know, beach, uh, cryotherapy, you know, magnesium float tanks, you know, so you name it, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try it just if and see if it improves me. So... Um, <laughs> Yeah, really, just, (laughs) what are you laughing
0: at? Just just you just having that addiction of float tanks. Are you still doing that for a long time now? Yeah, mate,
1: got to float. Float's the key. Yeah. Um, and then like sleep sleep's obviously a big one so if, I'm, if I know I'm you know I'm sleeping well you know recovering well in there and then I think relationships are key as well like um, I like to think sometimes of, of my life in you know different I guess levels or, or, or buckets as, as, as such out of 10 and you know football is always a 10 out of 10 I need to make sure that that's always at, at a premium and you know my great mates you know back home like you know at different times they're a 10 but they can dip down to like a 6 out of 10 at times when they get too low then I need to make sure I put some time and effort and energy in to that and when I feel like I'm really balanced there always sort of just balancing those things that I feel really you know prepared to attack on field off field everything so like you know my fiance you know needs to be a you know defensive ask nine eight ten out of ten depending <laughs> where f- football's at uh, and then in the off season football can dip down to like an eight while I'm overseas and things like that but just re- really viewing things in in those sort of parameters really helps me feel balanced and moving forward and then like off field if I feel like I'm not, you know, learning something that really rattles me a little bit. So I need to make sure I put some some time and effort and energy into that as well and just keeping that, you know, holistic You know, I guess life um, buckets in order. So family, friends, you know, off field, on field, and just really just seeing where they're at um, and just diving in, in in that, having the the communication with those people there. But I feel my best when I've got really strong relationships um, and, yeah, moving forward, I guess, off field and and then, yeah, feeling really
0: prepared for on field. It's a great segue, mate, because I think a lot of people ask me, you know, what's Made de Boer like? What's he like as a bloke? They see this guy, you know, that the public would see as a tagger. Um, as you said earlier, I think you referred to it as a villain. And I said, I, I say to myself, the last thing you need to worry about for me personally, if, if you think Matt DeBoer is a footballer, and I'm, and I'm actually saying this as a compliment to yourself, it, that's just like 10% of who he is. Um, I, I admire the way you go about your footy, but I think that the biggest asset to yourself is the way you go about life and your business and, and everything else off the field, because it's honestly second to none. And I'm not just saying this, but I know that when I rocked up to the the Giants and um, I think I I probably would say I was definitely lost. I had no fucking idea what I was doing um, at that stage, but I sort of had a lot of chats with you and the way you were engaged off field and passionate about your study and your purpose outside of the game and building a career. That really then motivated me to go like, fuck, I want this as well. Like I need something that I can put all my energy into. Who is... Matt DeBoer off the field I suppose I've I've summed it up a little bit there and I think people from the first half of our chat will understand this but how engaged are you off field why are you so engaged is it is it something that you're extremely passionate in or was it something that you were like fuck you know I've signed six one-year deals I've got to be ready for what's next
1: yeah, I was the king of the one-year deal, so there's always that uncertainty, I guess even dating back, you know, like as parents do, um, I was really passionate about my sport, but they said, you know, both being school teachers as well, they were like, you know, you're studying and you, you better get good grades type thing. Um, so, like, you know, study and, and that has always just been a big big part of my, um, I guess, the, you know, time of, of my week. So, you know, I finished, started, you know, university and finished that in, in 2016 and, you um, and then it was like, okay, what's next? And I did the Australian Institute of Company Directors course off field as well, which is which is really cool. Uh, you know, upscaling sort of governance, strategy, risk, legal, etc. To be on boards, to report to boards, etc. i sort of see the leadership group as a as a mini board as well, in in a sense. So um, when people take sporting analogies to business, I take business ones to sport as well, because there's lessons there. Um, so always big on that. And then did the did a online course at Harvard in disruptive strategy, which was really cool. I had this um, ambition to study abroad when I was a bit younger, and then uh, kept getting one year deals, so footy footy kept continuing, so I wasn't able to to get over there and do that. But online these days, it's it's pretty um, yeah pretty awesome with, with what you can achieve. So did that, and then was sort of thinking, you know, what what's next now? What do I do with my time? I, I did some work experience on my on my day off. Um, for players get you know one day off, so I was sort of doing some funds management there um, with a global disruption sort of technology fund um, and just have always loved sort of startups and, and venture capital and we can dive into it but essentially that you know evolved into What's now, um, you know, where I spend most of my time off field in athletic ventures, which is essentially a, a syndicate of past and present elite athletes that, that invest in, in startups and, um,
0: and look to really add, add value through that, through that process. How does this come about? Man? How do you think, okay, I'm going to start an, a venture capital uh, group with ex-players? Like, it's honestly one of the best ideas ever, but how do you even go about starting that? What, what was the initial conversations? How did it even come about?
1: Yeah, I guess I've always loved sort of startups and, and venture capital. It's you know usually about growth maximisation, and they I actually quite liken it to elite athletes in the sense that for startups the journey is not linear. It's not up and to the right like it's as athletes do. You have setbacks, you have failures, you have injuries, you lose games. But what helps you win is is purpose, is culture, is leadership, is a great team. Um, so that really alignment with with startups is is really consistent. So I've just loved listening to podcasts as well on on that. You know you usually oscillate between Dylan friends and something else. Um, <laughs> so I've done that. And then um, I actually listened to a podcast with a guy called Nick Crocker from, from Blackbird. Uh, who's a general partner there. And I remember listening to his story. I was like, this guy is a weapon. Like, you know, just everything that he's achieved. And I'll, I'm just going to reach out to him. So um, I just slid into his DMs, mate, on, on LinkedIn and said, hey, Nick, l- you know, listen to your podcast. We'd love to catch up. And, um, you know, like enough, he responded. So I caught up with Nick and um, and essentially became great mates with him you know he's like a mentor but also a great friend as well and um we're able to share stories on you know high performance and understanding what he does in in the venture capital game and then you know met other great people you know justin lippman from equity venture partners ed cowan you know ex cricketer works at tdm growth partners so just some guys in the industry because i was quite passionate about it just trying to learn from these great operators um and there was an opportunity to you know, with a company at the time called Eucalyptus. Um, sorry, at the time, they, they're called Eucalyptus. And they were raising it at Series A. Um, and I'd met Tim Doyle, his ex-koala. And I said to Nick, who was managing the raise from Blackbird's End, I said, oh, I'd love to invest in in Tim and, and Eucalyptus. And he sort of said, oh, what are you thinking? And I said, sort of said a small amount. And he goes... Yeah, probably not enough to merit a spot in the cap table. I was fair enough. Mm. Um, And then we had this sort of idea to, well, what happens if we syndicate in with a a bunch of you know like-minded athletes, as as I'd call them, um, student athletes, like you know your Toby Greens of the world that really understand the asset class and we can dive into this. But um, really enjoy you know technology growth companies. So yeah, essentially we syndicated in um, together between about 15 of us from sort of multiple codes. And then yeah, flash forward a year, we've done sort of seven investments across sort of 60 plus athletes from all, all sorts of codes and yeah the portfolio is performing pretty strongly and um and then yeah we, we what i'm quite passionate about obviously is, is education and that continual growth so we're able to organize some master classes where you know people give a give a master class on a certain topic the athletes zoom in um you know we, we listen for about 45 minutes and get to ask questions as well so quite quite profound, um, the access that you can get from people that, you know, are willing to sort of help and and give up their time and really grateful for that. So yeah, I guess Athletic Ventures is sort of about, you know, access
0: into great deal opportunities and and, um, an education that goes with it. It's it's unbelievable, mate. I'm actually a a part of this. I haven't had any cash to actually invest yet, but I love just (laughs) learning from everyone on it. Um, I'm sure everyone knows what a venture capital has done. I probably should have prefaced this at the start. In, in in layman's terms as well, is it is venture capital basically just getting a group together, raising enough funds to then invest in a business?
1: Yeah, so venture, yeah, venture capital is sort of at the pointy end of high risk, high return. So this is not financial advice and, and all things considered with that. But um, yeah, it's essentially investing in, in companies that are high growth at early stage where they're not quite profitable. So they need to raise funds to help grow. And, and then in return, you get a slice of their company as well. So... Um, you know there's venture capital funds and then there's syndicates and there's angel investors which might be high net worth individuals who can just invest by themselves but yeah through the syndicate through being a group of athletes um, who are able to yeah learn and and get access to some of the the hot opportunities around australia
0: what's what's the goals of this mate it's it's unbelievable like is it just to just keep investing keep building the portfolio adding athletes with similar interests in is there any you know companies that you're looking to sort of invest in at the moment that you can talk about
1: yeah, it's just to do a really good job, you know, to be honest, with our underlying portfolio at the moment. You know, always meeting new companies here and there that are looking to raise funds, so meeting them. But we've got a great portfolio of seven companies at the moment, and, um, you know, some of them are growing really quickly. Eucalyptus has sort of got grown 300% year on year, and just really trying to um, use the athletes' networks and, and profiles to, to add value to these companies because, you know, they're often mission driven as well and and trying to do a great thing in society and, and change the way consumers operate. So um, trying to help them in any way that that we can and, and really grow that, and yeah, continue to meet other companies that,
0: that might fit our, I guess, ethos of, in, of investing as well. It's huge. It's half of this is going straight over my head because a lot of them they're <laughs> very big words, but I'm sure it's you know making sense to a lot of people. It, it, it's honestly tremendous what you've been able to do, mate. Like you've you're a full time footballer that started a venture capital firm with a like you know athletes around the world that's investing in startup companies. Um, with the help of, you know, a mutual friend that you've obviously introduced me to Nick Crocker, who's an absolute superstar of the game, which probably brings me to my next point and something that I feel like you've been a massive teacher in this, not just in, um, in footy, but in, you know, for me personally is, is networking and the importance of networking. Um, when I spoke to, to Crocs, um, about, you know, getting on the show today, he actually sent me the message that you sent him back in 2018 and it was, it was word for word the exact thing I'll read it out to you now because this just shows you know cold That's... messaging someone um, like this to, to you know show your involvement in, in what they want to do it says hi my name is Matt DeBoer I play <laughs> AFL football for the Jed Giants so you drop that straight away nice yeah, have to. I've have also to. graduated from university and now looking to expand on my horizons I've been involved in tech startup which I can expand upon at night at the right time but this is email is definitely not a pitch but more a space that I found an appetite for. I live in Sydney and I noticed some of the Blackbird team reside there. At a time convenient to you, I'd love the ability to chat and pick your brain more personally in all things VC, which is venture capital, and the future and any specific advice you may have for an ambitious 28-year-old. I understand you have a busy (laughs) schedule, but I look forward to chatting soon. (laughs) Kind regards, Matt DeBoer.
1: Oh, uh, there's a saying that says, if you're not embarrassed by your previous self, you haven't <laughs> grown enough. So I'm I'm embarrassed by that, but it would be a lot different these days. But yeah, sorry, you go. <laughs>
0: how how important is it though to, to to reach out to people, I suppose? It's something that's so uncomfortable, as you said. Um, if I look back now at half, half my episodes, I'm still embarrassed at the one I did last week, let alone two years ago. How hard is it to, to put yourself out there and continue to put yourself out there and to meet people like this? So, you know, you've just literally cold 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 message one of the biggest up-and-coming venture capital you know superstars in the game really to catch up and and hear and hear you out
1: yeah i think it, it's definitely uncomfortable and it's awkward and you read all these things about you know do something every day that scares you and, and all of that but yeah you know, I, I keep coming back to it but it's just like part of my purpose is to you know try and be be great at everything i do and, and make my family proud and you know provide for my family so it's like becomes a really easy decision it's like is this guy going to help me get to where i want to go and you know Uh, Within that, like I I don't like the term networking. I I feel like it's, I don't know, got some weird connotations. But for me, it's more like building relationships with with key people um, that in the area of your interest. So you know, with Nick as an example, like I I reached out to him because I was just fascinated by his story. um, Where where I didn't know where that was going to go, to be honest, at the time. But you know, for anyone listening, if there's an area that you want to improve upon, like get a mentor that can help you get there. Um, You know, they've they've got these pattern recognition they've got the experience they've got the strategies to to help you I guess avoid a lot of the pitfalls along the way so you know and then within that you know I reached out to Nick I just tried to add any value to him that I could so for me that was around like lessons from elite sport and and things like that and just form a genuine relationship as I mentioned we're more friends now than mentors but I still ask him a hundred dumb questions um, just to make sure I get it right and the same as with Ed Cowan and and Justin Libman who, who I've touched on so like you know essentially great mates now but I to sort of assist me in, in my next um, in my next you know venture as it was but you know I want to be clear like football is my absolute priority and it's a great business that you know I can essentially fundamentally we're just backing these weapon founders to, to grow and, and generate you know further revenue in their businesses so it's you know I don't need to be there I don't need to do anything as such add value here and there and then if I miss meeting companies as well then that 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 we can't invest in everything so we'll we'll miss some but yeah whilst football is my absolute priority um, it's a great thing to have on the side
0: while football is your absolute priority as you said it's something that you've always got to keep one eye out on is the future at the game at the moment um, you were sitting on the AFLPA board not long ago you're obviously you know looking always having one eye on the future you're a delegate sorry Um, one eye on the future as, as you've always said how do you think most AFL players are sort of transitioning at the moment do you think it's something that Um, we need to be worried about and and not even just AFL players in general just, just athletes is it something that we put enough focus on?
1: Yeah, I've talked about Ed Cowan. He's got a great analogy. He said in sport, you're like always climbing this mountain, and you're you know you're doing everything you can to get to the top of it. And then obviously when that ends, you don't just get to you know paraglide across to the the next mountain at the top. You got to go back to the bottom. You know, so um, I think you know in my own situation, like it's still daunting. It's always daunting. You know, there's no you know better workplace than playing elite sport with your with your mates and you've got great purpose and um, and everything that goes with it. But I guess what you can do is you can always work on, on tools. You know, to use the, the analogy still of, of climb mountains, you can always work on your tools so that when you start you know, going up again, um, you're ready to go. And the other thing is having a, a great climbing party as well. So, for me, it's you know surrounding yourself with with people you know better than yourself or smarter than yourself in different areas that you can continually um, you know work with, learn from, so that when you do need to transition, you can you know I guess get up the mountain a, a little bit quicker. But yeah, it's definitely an area of, of concern for for lots of players because um, they love what they do and the thought of the next one, you know, might not be in their passion. But you obviously need to um, yeah provide. For your family in any way you can. So it's an area that the AFLPA is always aware of and clubs are always aware of. You know, the Giants, we've got Dylan Addison who's just a phenomenal, you know, play development manager and always um, tipping the guys into certain courses that they can be doing. So I think, whilst football is your absolute priority, and you need to make sure you know recovery is a is a priority as well. But you know there is like I've touched on, you've got more energy and effort than you think. Where you can, you know, be chipping away and, and keep a really balanced lifestyle there in regards to, you know, might be a uni degree, might be a short course. You can learn pretty much anything on the internet these days. Develop your podcast, which you're able to transition into. So there's things that you can do. You know, subtly chipping away out, working on those tools and those skills that you can, yeah, translate into into your next next
0: uh, career speaking of your next career you're always on to the biggest the next big thing um you're, you're the man that is just continually hustling on this you're in my ear about nfts at the moment now non-fungible <laughs> tokens i do know a little bit about this can you just give us a little bit of a shout out on on what these are um because you're the only person who could probably explain it to me in layman's terms
1: Oh wow! Okay, I'll give it a go. I probably won't do it justice, but yeah, I guess yeah. A fungible token essentially means it can be broken down. So if I give you a hundred dollars, that can be broken down into, you know, fives, tens, twenties, fifties, whatever it is. So something's non-fungible; it can't be broken down. There's there's one of it. So um, there's been you know there's been some hysteria recently with uh, NBA Top Shot. You know, they're minting these iconic moments, but also cards. So essentially, it's a digital token uh, that represents something. It could be art could be an iconic moment, could be something, and then you own that. So, um, you know, Jack Dorsey's first tweet was was minted recently. So someone owns his first tweet and people think it's it's potentially silly because I could just print that off and say, I've got it. Um, you could do that with the Mona Lisa as well, but there's only one person that truly owns the Mona Lisa um, or other famous artwork. You know, that might be a poor example. <laughs> but so I was thinking about Dill Buckley. You know, you've got this great growing community <laughs> and those sort of things. And if you minted, um you know call it a a producer pass we we'll, we we'll call it that and this is something I like talking about mate we'll grow the media empire for you but if you pro- if you minted a producer pass and you said there's only going to be one of these and therefore it's scarce and that therefore if it's something scarce it's got value to someone how much value I'm not sure it depends how uh bent your your fans and followers are but maybe <laughs> with that maybe with that producer's pass yeah so the Lacro- lacrosse league are doing a great thing at the moment where they have eight owners passes and within that if you own one of them then you get access to a call with a coach and you get access to tickets and you get access to different things because you are the one owner of that pass. So Dylan Friends, I think, should be exploring this wow. at some point and we, we can take it off scene. But essentially the part that confuses everyone at times is, is the blockchain and how that's administered, but just
0: essentially think of it as a, as a digital ownership of, of some sort of asset that's incredible that that i do definitely understand it now and i don't think anyone could explain that as good as you watch this place uh producer <laughs> pass that does sound very cool i'm not sure if anyone would really want it but we'll we'll definitely uh we'll it. definitely look into that we'll definitely look into that um mate i've got one more story that i think will really sums you up as a person um it's probably not what you think it's going to be but there was one time when we were up in sydney and something happened to you on the weekend in your personal time. And it really just made me realise, do not fuck with Matt DeBoer on, off the field, in business, in life, in footy, in just anything at all. And it was a a young man who, did he steal your wallet or did he find your wallet? Uh, This story. No, he stole Um, your bike. Bike and wallet. Bike and wallet. Please tell me this story because it's honestly one of my all-time favourites.
1: Oh, this is Josh Kelly's favorite story so I assumed it would come up at some point but yeah essentially I was moving it was the first few months of Sydney um, I was moving into my new rental Tendai Mzungu was helping me we're putting our you know, furniture in carrying it from the car in, inside and um, maybe being a little bit sheltered but I forgot to lock my car and uh, Tendai and I played a game of Madden or something and then my phone rings and all of a sudden, it's the bank saying, there's some suspicious activity on your card, um, we're going to cancel it. I thought, oh yeah, do, do that. And I've just jumped online <laughs> and seen the transactions of, of what's been happening and someone's essentially got my card and tap and going up the street, um, buying certain things and it finished at this pub. And I was like, right, I jumped in my car and I just sped down there, um, got out, got into the pub. And then uh, no one was there. I spoke to the owner and he was like, oh, we thought that was strange. When their card was declined, these guys just scattered. I was like, oh, mate, they've stolen my credit card. Um, and I don't know why, but I just said, can I look at the CCTV footage? I'm just like curious. And he's like, yeah, okay, sure. So we've gone down down the stairs <laughs> into the into the dungeon to see the CCTV footage. He's rewound it. And it's about four guys there um, having beers on me. Um, and then the ta- yeah, so I got my phone out. Once again, don't know why, I just felt compelled to and started taking photos of it. I was like, all oh, right, it's one of these four guys. Um, and then I just hopped back in my car. I was like, I'm just going to drive around, and see if I can find, see him in the streets. I don't know what I would have done, but driving around, looking yeah. for him, couldn't find him. Um, so I called the cops, reported it, did all the right things. And then I realized that within my wallet, there was a, a travel card and I hadn't, um, I had about 100 bucks left on it. So I didn't cancel that one because every time he'd use it, it'd notify me of where he was. So he started. <laughs> so he keeps so he <laughs> keeps using this card uh, I was out at a date night with my with my fiance at a Bondi and then he's used it somewhere you know inner west so I was like right we're going I've ruined date night we're hopping in the car we're sped off to try and find this guy essentially called the cops on the way doing all the right things and then he'd um, left by the time I got there once again I don't know who, what exactly what it looks like I've got some sketchy photos of this CCTV footage um, anyway so I, I was trying to chase him around Sydney for a, a couple of weeks there and Unfortunately, I, I tore my hamstring um, in the second week, and you know I was pretty dis- disappointed about that. But um, was due to go out for breakfast with the uh, Mzungus on on the Sunday, um, and then so I was just waiting at the out the front waiting for my fiance, and I see this guy walk past, and I was like, that's that's fucking him, and I've been studying this photo like <laughs> Liam Neeson from from Liam Neeson from Taken, and I was like, that is him, and I was sort of. And he, by, the, by that time, he's sort of down the street a little bit. And I've realized I've torn my hand. He's like, what am I going to do? So I've jumped in the car, sort of sped up to him, got out of the car. And I was sort of hobbling along to him. And I sort of didn't know what to say. I was like, hey, mate. And I was like, what do I say? What do I say? And he's turned around at me, And I said, have you got any ID? And then he's just looked at me and gone to run. So I was like, no, nah. I've just launched at him. I jumped at him. <laughs> I've tackled him, the, tackled him to the ground. I was supposed to be this good tackler, but... Um, yeah. I ripped his shirt off his body and his, and his hat fell off as well and he got up and he went to scamper away and I went to chase him and felt my hammy I was like oh gee I can't do that um, I can tell this story now it's years ago um, so he got away which is disappointing but then picked up the uh, the hat dropped it off to the police they ran forensics on it he'd been arrested previously so they had all his DNA so they went and picked him up and 18 months jail <laughs> so don't steal from <laughs> me deal <laughs> I'll get you to- <laughs>
0: this <laughs> bike has just robbed you of a bike and a wallet and four beers i think it was and now he's doing 18 months yeah no I was, do not I start, do not fuck with matt DeBoer.
1: exactly exactly mate. Mate, Life lesson. that
0: absolutely sums it up i love it you're an absolute superstar i honestly cannot thank you enough for, for your time mate and and just personally as well that the influence you've had on me and what you're doing not just not just um on the field but off the field and and for all your teammates and friends, you're, you're an incredible character. There's not one person has a, a bad word to say about you. Um, highly admire what you're doing. So excited to see what is next for you. I know you've got a long time left in footy and hopefully some some success um, around the corner, but I just cannot wait to see what you're doing off the field um, when you finish, mate, because it's going to be big things. Um, and just on that, what is next for Matt DeBall to finish up?
1: Yeah, I'm not really sure, mate. Like I said, footy's the absolute priority, and you know I've, I'm absolutely devastated that I've lost two grand finals. Like, just yeah, don't get wrong, that doesn't sit well with me, and still aiming to um to rectify that, and and really got the you know the, a great. Um, great crew of the Giants to do so so yeah working as hard as I can on that and then just chipping away but yeah I love the love the venture capital and, and startup scene and um, hopefully something in that and hopefully can you know help the Dylan Friends podcast in, in any way possible so it's been a pleasure to be here mate hopefully the list has got something out of it and obviously just thinking of everyone down in Melbourne in particular so just challenge everyone to to reach out and, and, and touch base with with someone they know there and just make sure they're doing all right and, um, and yeah all, equally with me happy to Happy for anyone to reach out to me. Uh, usually my Instagram uh, messages, deal. I usually hate from, I've either ruined someone's uh, dream team or their multi-bet. But Multi. um, aside from <laughs> that,
0: <laughs> I'm happy to uh, happy to chat to anyone. Mate, you're an absolute star, honestly. Um, I cannot thank you enough for today. And I'm sure a lot of people would have got a lot out of that. And, and best of luck for the rest of the year. Looking forward to catching up soon for a couple of um, cold beers, my friend.
1: Yeah, it's cordial sound good deal. <laughs>
0: If that wasn't enough for you and you want even more, you're in luck. Dylan Friends is now on Patreon. Dylan Best Friends. An exclusive loyalty subscription featuring the debrief podcast of each episode and bonus Q&As from Patreon members like this. If you had to say one, who is your favorite player to tag? So that must mean who is your favorite player, who's your easy player to tag, and who's the hardest person to tag. That's from Brandon.
1: That no, zero, zero easy people. Um, and the hardest would probably be Nat Faf.
0: Yeah. Which is a close friend of yours as well. So that actually makes it even harder. And that ties into the, yeah, how hard it was. <laughs> and there's plenty more where that came from. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Dylan Friends or you can head to the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you like the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate,